0: This is a closer look with Arthur Levitt. Arthur Levitt is a former chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, a Bloomberg LP board member, a senior advisor to the Promontory Financial Group, and a policy advisor to Goldman Sachs. After obtaining his graduate degree abroad from the University of London, Peter Smith became interested in international finance. During his time abroad, he says he experienced firsthand the issues and constraints of international banking and the benefits of the digital universal currency, Bitcoin. In 2011, he co founded Blockchain, a company focused on building a secure wallet technology, enabling users to essentially act as their own bank for digital currency. He is a 2016 World Economic Forum technology pioneer and noted thought leader in the fintech space. He joins me now for a closer look. I should mention that I am an advisor to blockchain where I consult on regulatory issues. Digital currencies and the blockchain technology are becoming better known before we start I think it would be helpful if you'd explain in simple terms what we mean when we talk about the blockchain and how it is related to, but different than, digital currencies such as Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, so the blockchain is an underlying technology, and it's the technology that digital currencies are based on the way of securing data and low trust environments.
0: We're coming up on the 10 years since a person or group named Satoshi Nakamoto, released a white paper called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system that started it all. In general, where are we now? How close are we to most people interacting with a digital currency or blockchain transaction in daily life?
1: Well, I think that there's millions of people around the world that are using digital currency as an investment, and then there's a lot of other people around the world that are using digital currency to transfer value, uh, to keep track of property. Um, you know, one of the most novel use cases that we've seen is people using Ethereum to create smart contracts that are basically uh, kittens. So there's crypto kitties out there, which is obviously kind of a funny use case, but is a you know something that people are doing with cryptocurrency besides investing. But I think globally today, most of the world is using it as an investment product.
0: What percentage do you think is speculative?
1: I think, you know, probably a strong majority is speculative um, after the last quarter. You know, in early 2017, I would have said that, you know, maybe, maybe 50% was speculative. But I think due to the incredible run-up in price that we saw in the latter half of 2017, that's you know, basically transferred that to a much higher percentage of speculation.
0: What's the market cap of Bitcoin right now?
1: The market cap of Bitcoin right now is um, actually a a great question. I think the overall market cap for all digital assets is now between 500 billion and 600 billion. But the market cap for Bitcoin itself is about three hundred and six billion dollars.
0: Now, Bitcoin was just given the regulatory green light for listing futures contracts. Is this significant in your judgment?
1: I think so far, we haven't seen a lot of volume traded on the
0: futures venues.
1: But I think it's really significant in the sense that it's the first time that sort of mainstream financial services providers are providing services to, um, you know, sort of Bitcoin products. So the PME is obviously a really important participant in global market infrastructure. And their offering of a Bitcoin product, I think, is really interesting.
0: Now, knowing the history of volatility, do these Bitcoin exchanges have any switches or curbs in place if price swings get out of hand?
1: You know, it seems like some of them do, but to be honest, a lot of them don't. I think that's one thing that people don't fully understand about our industry is that the industry is still very nascent. You know, there's still a lot that's being developed, a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built. And I think you really can't underestimate the amount of work that there's left to do right now.
0: Which countries, Peter, are ahead of the acceptance and adoption of digital currencies?
1: Well, I think there's two ways to examine that. One is by usage, so the number of people are using digital currencies, And the other is by regulatory environment. So in terms of usage, I think that Bitcoin is, is very spread out all over the world. There's lots of people using Bitcoin um, in Europe, there's lots of people in America. There's lots of people in Asia. I think from a regulatory perspective, you know, probably Japan has been the most um, forward in terms of passing definitive regulation, um, establishing licensing regime, being very definitive in how it uh, regulates the asset class. And I think regulators in the U.S. have done a good job as well. You know, the U.S. was one of the first countries to really publish any kind of guidance at all on digital assets, you know, several years ago.
0: Now, of course, there are other proxies out there, such as Ethereum. Do you, would you bet on Bitcoin as emerging uh, or developing into the most widely used digital currency?
1: I think it's really hard to know which digital currency will be the most widely used. For example, if the U.S. government, the Department of the Treasury, issues a digital dollar, I imagine that a digital dollar would be used more Um, than Bitcoin. At the same time, I still think that Bitcoin would be incredibly valuable. So I think it really depends on what happens over the next couple of years. And I think even more importantly, you know, what we're going to see happen overall is just an incredible proliferation of the number of digital assets. But I think it's probably far too early in the life cycle to make a definitive judgment about what is going to be most successful.
0: We've been reading a lot lately about ICOs or... Initial coin offerings. Do you feel there are dangers in this developing market?
1: For sure. I think that what we have going on is, you know, a, a really even more nascent space than Bitcoin. But that what's going on there is that it's very, very volatile. And there's a lot of very low-quality assets. They're seeing a lot of investment traction. And anytime that happens, um, you know, that's a real, real difficulty. Um, so, you know, I think that one's really tough and I think the underlying promise of the technology is really powerful. I think that, you know, the idea that you can offer sort of, um, you can pre-sell products with utility tokens or you can offer, you know, equity in a much cheaper, you know, sort of way from an infrastructure perspective is really powerful. At the same time, I think that it's going to take a lot of time before the space kind of shakes out. Anytime a new technology is invented, a lot of times the initial users of it aren't aren't the highest quality. So I think you have a lot of low-quality things being ICO'd right now, and I don't think that's a problem with ICOs. I think that's a problem with the sort of people that are using ICOs. I think it's very important to make that distinction.
0: Now, in talking about challenges to scaling use of Bitcoin, the transaction Clearing costs are high. Will that change in your judgment as the market grows?
1: I think that's likely to be a, a, a challenge for the market, no matter what happens. I think one of the good things, though, is that now, as compared to two years ago, there's a lot of different cryptocurrencies that are very popular. So today you have Ethereum, which is you know very lo- very low transaction fees. You have Bitcoin Cash, which is low transaction fees. Um, And you have Bitcoin, which, you know, of course, has high transaction fees. So I think, you know, one of the best things about what's going on now is that you have a lot of options in the user. And anytime there's options, I think that's going to make everything across the ecosystem stronger.
0: Why is electricity so important to Bitcoin?
1: So Bitcoin is secured by a system called Proof of Work, which is basically a computationally expensive math problem. And the way that that works is, you know, you, these very specialized computers are really trying to solve this mass problem. And as soon as they do, they have created a new block. Now, one of the things that's very important to be um, cognizant of is that Bitcoin mining is only really profitable if you do it somewhere where the price of power is near zero. Because you can't really do Bitcoin mining in a part of the world where power is very expensive. And so, you know, it's not like you would mine Bitcoin in central London you would mine Bitcoin next to a hydroelectric power plant. Um, So, you know, one of the things that people don't understand about the world is that there actually is a lot of unused power because you have nuclear plants, hydroelectric plants, you know, even things like coal surpluses in China uh, that's just being burnt off and not being used. And that's oftentimes where you'll find Bitcoin mining operations because profitability in that line of work is so tightly linked to your ability to find very cheap power. Now, on the same token, I think it's important to note that that's been the dominant security model in our space for the last six, seven years. But I don't think it's going to be the dominant model forever, right? I think that we're all, across the whole industry, figuring out the best ways to do what we're doing. And one of the major projects, Ethereum, is going to switch to using a system that's entirely different. It's called Proof by Bet. I think if we see that system as successful, we'll see most of the other systems adopt a
0: similar scheme. You've predicted that a major country will issue its own digital currency within the next year or two. Why will a central bank take this on? And do you think you know which country this might be?
1: So I think there's a couple of countries that are, are you know, likely candidates. Um, you know, I think that a central bank really sells a product, right? At the end of the day, um, you know, money is a product. And if their product less competitive, um, they have a major problem. So yes. I think that, you know, what we'll have to see develop is uh, really a competitiveness issue. I think that's why people will, um, you know, roll out uh, digital currency from central bank. It's really, a, you know, at the root, it's going to be a competitiveness issue.
0: And when the first country issues a digital currency, won't other countries feel the need to look at issuing digital currencies to keep up?
1: I think so. I think that there's a lot of very specific use cases for different digital currencies. And I think at the end of the day, that's going to drive a lot of value across assets. I think people all too often view this as a you know, one coin takes all or one company takes all situation.
0: And the reality
1: is that's never really the case. The reality is that there's going to be a lot of different um, tokens, there's going to be a lot of different digital currencies, and different communities are going to use them for different use cases. I think that's really exciting. Like, at the end of the day, what is really exciting about the digital currency space is the fact that we're going to be able to provide a lot of choices to consumers. And I think that's really exciting.
0: One day do you think central banks will offer... A choice of currencies?
1: I don't. I mean, today central banks hold other currencies as reserves, but I don't think that you're ever going to get like, you know, a uh, central bank offering a choice of currencies. Instead, you're going to have a choice between like, you know, do you want um, JP Morgan US dollars or do you want, you know, a digital US dollar? And I think when consumers have that choice, they're mostly going to want a digital dollar.
0: Do you think we'll see the day, Peter, when? Jamie Dimon will have to take back his criticism of digital currency?
1: I don't think Jamie is ever going to take back his criticism of digital currency. I think that he's just going to retire uh, when the board decides that, um, you know, he's too slow.
0: The cost of transaction clearing is currently very high. Is that going to change, and what will change it?
1: I think that we'll see we'll see people use other cryptocurrencies with lower transaction fees. Um, And that is sort of what we've seen happening already in the industry. If you look back two years ago, you would have seen 95% of the transactions in digital currency occurring on the Bitcoin blockchain. And today, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I think it's now a minority.
0: I'm still uh, curious about electricity. Uh, with respect to Bitcoin. Now, Ethereum uses, I'm told, a fifth as much electricity. Are they doing something differently?
1: Yeah, they have a more efficient mining algorithm. So it's just technology improvements.
0: What does uh, that mean?
1: And I expect those to continue over time.
0: What What does a more efficient mining policy mean?
1: So Ethereum uses a mining algorithm in which it's harder to do dedicated ASICs. Um, But this is, like, starts to sort of get into a very technical and the weeds conversation about um, different algorithms. I think that, you know, for your listeners, what I would say that's really sort of meaningful for them is that technology improves over time. If you looked at the amount of power it took to run the Internet in 1999, you know, per bandwidth, so if we were using 100 megabytes of Internet in 1999, And if you extrapolated that cost out to today, where we use, you know, a thousand times the bandwidth that we used in 1999, you would come up with this astronomical number. But in fact, it's actually gotten cheaper to run the internet in that same time period. And the reason is that you put a lot of dedicated smart engineers onto it and you figure out how to make efficiency gains. So I think, you know, we'll see a similar thing happen in digital currencies.
0: Joe Stiglitz, a Nobel economist, uh, said that Bitcoin doesn't serve any socially useful function and ought to be outlawed. He's a pretty bright guy with whom I served in the Clinton administration. Uh, how would you respond to that one-sided critique?
1: Well, you know, I think that one of the most important things you remember there is that thought the internet would be less useful than a fax machine. And if you, you know, were wrong about the internet, and this is fax machines, you might be wrong about this too. I think one of the temptations is that people expect, you know, the world to continue looking like it's always looked. You know, I know for me, like, I expect the cryptocurrency market to look like it looked like last year. But that's very unlikely. So for someone like him, you know, he's spent a whole year doing his whole career doing a very specific thing. And now he has to do something different and, you know, the way that he perceives the world is different and, you know, I think that it's hard to, to adjust to that new mental model and that's probably what made it hard for him to recognize how important the internet was going to be when the internet came across his desk.
0: That's a great response. You've said that blockchain creates monetary velocity. Uh, does that mean what it says? It just speeds up transactions?
1: It does, because it gives you settlement finality. So, for example, the Bank of England, because, you know, central bank treasury in general, is very concerned with the velocity of money. If so you can increase the velocity of money, you increase the value of money and spur economic growth. And one of the things that people get excited about in terms of the underlying technology of clearing transactions and, and digital currency generally is increasing the velocity of money. The Bank of England did a study on this, and they've basically estimated that if they could get 30 to 40 percent of their transactions to a digital pound, the year's day underlying uh, distributed ledger, they would be able to increase economic growth by three or four percent, which is due to the higher uh, velocity of money and the efficiencies around transaction clearing. And three or four percent economic growth would more or less eliminate unemployment in the United Kingdom. So even though three or four percent sounds small, it's actually huge. And I think that's really exciting when you think about the kind of impact this could have on
0: society. That is truly dramatic. In your view, does the blockchain represent bigger changes and disruption than the internet?
1: I think so, because you know, when you had the internet it was replacing the media and information industry. And the media and information industry has always killed in comparison in terms of size, to the internet, sorry, to the financial services industry. So, you know, the internet disrupted media and information. And what's important to remember about that is that ultimately the internet made the media and information sector much more valuable, right? It made, you know, we're consuming more media than ever. We're consuming more entertainment than ever. We're generating more revenue than ever. We're generating more jobs than ever with media and communication. I think you're likely to see the same thing with digital currencies. The caveat is that, Financial services is the world's biggest market. It is many multiples out of media and communication. And so when you step back and think about that, the amount of potential here and the you know sheer ambition of the overall project around digital currencies and rebuilding the financial system is, is quite staggering.
0: When you look at what's coming next, Peter, what applications of blockchain technology are you the most excited about?
1: Well, to be honest, Digital currency, I think reinventing money is pretty exciting. Um, That's kind of an old-fashioned view. People are talking about, you know, healthcare records and identity and all kinds of fun stuff. But I'm, I'm still pretty excited about reinventing money.
0: Now, your company, Blockchain, is the largest wallet provider in the world. To the average listener, what is a wallet?
1: Well, a wallet is just a digital, it's just like a passport to the ecosystem. You know, when we think about what we want to be as a company, we want to be a, you know, guide, an entry point to a whole digital asset ecosystem. So a wallet is just how you, you know, find, buy, store, and use digital assets. And, And that's the core of our business.
0: Where are your users mostly located? And are many of them in the U.S.?
1: Well, a lot of them are in the U.S., but really our users are all over the world. they are in about 130 countries. Um, And I think that's really exciting, think about the global nature of what we do. Um, You know, we're now doing a little more volume than PayPal on our consumer product versus their consumer product, which is, is pretty staggering when you think about it. You know, if you wanted to get everyone that is logged into our platform at one time, into one city, you would need a city as big as Berkeley or Oakland, California. Um, So, you know, there's so many people all around the world using this today. And that's just kind of inspiring to think about.
0: Peter, I've heard you say that technology will have a big impact on society and it won't all be good. What are you worried about?
1: You know, I think that efficiency often results in job losses. Um, So I think that there's a lot of people employed in financial services today that are operating businesses that aren't delivering a lot of value to their customers. And I think those people's jobs are very much in question.
0: Blockchain allows a complete ledger and history to be distributed, copied, and kept in an incorruptible state. You can... See when something was said, written, or confirmed. Will there be people in governments who really don't want that kind of transparency?
1: I think that maybe there are people like that, but I think most of them are using other you know, ways of paying for things. You know, a HMT, you know, the Treasury in the UK, does a risk assessment every year. And this year's risk assessment, digital currencies came in last place. Um, you know, prepaid debit cards uh, were considered to be more risky. So I think that there's, you know, always going to be risk, and there's always going to be people trying to misuse financial systems and misuse any kind of stuff. Um, but I think in general, because of the transparency in the system, digital currency is pretty
0: okay. Peter, this has been a, a wonderfully uh, interesting session where you've simplified concepts that have confounded uh, people all over the world. I'd ask you about a book that you've always recommended called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. That's a surprise to me. Why that that book?
1: Well, you know, really, um, there wasn't really an economic system until there was debt, until the creation of financial products. And you, when you look at how economic growth started in Western Europe and then America, it was really off the back of two financial innovations. One was the ability to collateralize assets. So to say, okay, I want to borrow $5,000, and in return, I'm going to you know, use my house to back that, which gave people money to invest into economic growth. And the second thing was, was joint financing, so the invention of bonds and equities. Um, in the free banking period. And if I could find a really great book about the free banking period, I would recommend that too. But unfortunately, that one hasn't been written yet. Um, maybe I'll write it after I retire from blockchain. Uh, but Debt is a really easy-to-read history of the first 5,000 years of credit. And the way that humans have organized the system is just endlessly fascinating to me. Have you read the book yet?
0: No, I have not. 2018. You need to read it. I'm going to, Peter. You've, you've made that an imperative. In 2011, he co-founded Blockchain, a financial technology and data company that today is the market leader in wallet technology for digital currencies. And in 2016, he was named a World Economic Forum Technology pioneer you can follow him on Twitter at one more Peter Peter Smith thanks for joining us if anybody in the audience has comments about the program or suggestions for topics email me at a closer look at bloomberg.net that's a closer look one word at bloomberg.net and follow me on Twitter at Arthur Levitt, one word this is a closer look with Arthur Levitt